what he's doing. Something, let me do it. And now Randy Orton going for the RKO on Daniel Bryan. And Randy Orton shoved into Michaels inadvertently by Daniel Bryan. Sean, are you all right? Screaming at Sean. Sean was looking back at Triple H when he turned right into yeah, the collision occurred, and now uh, Triple H ordering, ordering the official to open the, the cell. You see the man behind Triple H. That's Doctor Sampson. Yeah, he's a ringside doctor. Daniel Bryan. Bryan exploded with the knee to the skull. This should be over, but there's no official. But Daniel Bryan's got Orton pinned. Sean, Sean, you gotta get up and count. You gotta get up and count. Sean, come on. Welcome back, folks, to a very scary Halloween special edition tonight of WrestleRant Radio. Of course, your host of the most here, Graham G.S.N. Matthews, Bleacher Report featured columnist. We are less than 48 hours away until my favorite holiday of the year, Halloween. And, of course, we had WWE Hell in a Cell this past Sunday night live from Miami, Florida. We had Monday Night Raw last night on the USA Network. Um, another very good episode of Monday Night Raw last night live from Orlando, Florida. So that was a good show as well. But um, much, much more here to talk about on Wrestle Rant Radio. Of course, I apologize for depriving you this week of my awesomely uh, put-together Wrestle Rant Radio intro. However, this week I thought it'd be only fitting to play the entrance music of the Big Red Monster, the favorite, the the favorite devil's, the devil's favorite Tevin. I, I apologize, Kane, his entrance music to open up tonight's show. I thought it was only fitting since Halloween is on Thursday, 
But um, even still, I thought Hell in a Cell was decent for what it was. Same thing with uh, Monday Night Raw. Of course, one of the highlights of both of those respective shows was the return of Kane. So it's only fitting that I play his music since it's Halloween and that he has now just returned, especially with See No Evil 2 being released in, uh, in just a few more months after filming wrapped up not too long ago. But uh, yeah, nonetheless, guys, it's going to be a jam-packed show, like I said before. But before we get right down to breaking down the world of wrestling, just a few quick plugs here. Make sure to check out my official website for all the WWE, TNF, rumors, recaps, and more at nextearwrestling.weebly.com. Check out the official WrestleRant homepage over there. Got some interviews up there, all the information about this show. Uh, make sure to check out my official podcast, WrestleRantRadio.podbean.com, my exclusive interviews with Jeremy Prophet, Jason Rumble, and Tommy Dreamer from a couple years ago. All three of those exclusive interviews in full length are up there. Make sure to download the official app as well. Make sure to go to WrestleRantRadio.Podbean.com on your official smartphone on Safari, not Chrome. Press the arrow on the bottom of your screen and press download to home screen. You'll be notified when new podcasts are uploaded to the website. So that's going to be pretty awesome as well. I will be attending the next North, I'm sorry, New England Championship Wrestling Show on November 9th right here in Beverly. I believe it's the same lo- the location as the last show that I went to in early October. So for those of you interested in going and those of you in the area, I would highly suggest checking it out. It's a one heck of a time. Um, it w- I had a very fun time the last time I went. So I uh, highly suggest checking that out if you uh, are in for a good Saturday night of uh, some jam-packed action. Also, make sure to check out the repeat of this show. If you're unable to listen live on Tuesday nights at 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 Central Time, you can check out the repeat on the same exact link right here on EC Radio at uh, Saturday nights at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 7 Central Time. So uh, that's our Saturday night main event, so to speak. So that's when the repeat is of WrestleRain Radio. And of course, since October has been pretty jam-packed, we had Battleground earlier this month. We had Bound for Glory last week. We had Hell in a Cell this past Sunday. I've been having a lot to talk about in the last uh, few weeks is the fourth edition of WrestleRant Radio, so I've had a lot to talk about in the last few weeks. But next week, since there's no pay-per-views, there's nothing, a lot going on as of no, as of now, there's nothing uh, going on, major at least. Um, there's not going to be a lot to talk about. I'm just going to be talking about Monday Night Raw, TNA Impact, all that good stuff. Probably going to have some time to kill, so I want to start up a Q&A session, hopefully. So if you check out my Facebook page, on Facebook, just simply search Graham GSM Matthews. <clears throat> we are nearing 300 likes, so any support is greatly appreciated. Drop a comment right in the wall, what, however you say this Facebook jargon. Just write your question for me. I'll answer it live here on the air. Um, also, make sure to check out my articles on Bleach Report. Just simply search Graham GSM Matthews. Hopefully, going to be writing a fun fact article about the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view from this past Sunday. Hopefully, coming up in the next few days. Make sure to check that out. And finally, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel. YouTube videos are usually updated or uploaded on uh, usually Fridays and Saturdays every week. So make sure to check that out. Just, again, search Graham, GSM Matthews. I'm on all platforms, so make sure to check me out all over the web. But before we get down to WWE Hell in a Cell, Monday Night Raw, all that good stuff, let's talk a little about TNA Impact Wrestling. Now, during the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, there weren't a lot of highlights of the show. I'm going to tell you right now, it was not a phenomenal show. It wasn't even a great show. I will say that much. But while I was watching the show, um, one thing I saw, a huge news item popped up that got more it got more attention than the actual pay-per-view did. And that's something TNA-related, so this is quite rare for TNA. But um, even still, 
I was uh, very surprised to hear that a report was issued on Sunday night via Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Radio, I believe it was, saying that TNA is currently up for sale. He went on to say that Dixie Carter and the rest of the Carters are looking to get out of the wrestling business. How much truth there is to this, I'm not exactly sure, so just take it with a grain of salt for what it is. But um, if it is true, and I would not be at all surprised, a lot of people are saying how much money should uh, Vince McMahon buy TNA for, $10, $20, I got, I got a kick out of that. But um, even still, in all seriousness, Jeff Jarrett, I believe, is looking to buy a share, maybe Eric Bischoff, whoever else. I'll get to Eric Bischoff in a minute. But um, this is extremely unfortunate. Of course, for those living under a rock, TNA has had a lot, a lot of financial issues over the last few months. They've had to lay off a number of their wrestlers. Um, They had to cut down on pay-per-views earlier this year. They've had a lot of... uh, a lot of financial issues in regards to uh, cutting down on live events. They're not doing any live events, I tell until I believe, until um, January, and it's October right now, folks. So that's that's pretty bad. And a lot of these wrestlers are working on per night deals too. So these guys are only getting paid um, maybe twice a month because they air Impact. Impact airs every Thursday night. It's going to be airing this week on Halloween, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, they will be watching that. But um, they air two shows, they tape two shows in one night. So these people get, I believe, paid maybe twice a month. I could be wrong, I'm not exactly sure. But take it for what it is. Not only that, though, um, oh, what else was I going to say? Oh, they've been going on the road since March now. It's been pretty good for what it has been. I mean, the crowds have been hotter, uh, much, much hotter than they were back at the Universal Studios where they were out of, where they were filming out of for years on end. It was... Um, way overdue that they got out of that uh, overexposed landscape environment. But um, it looks like they're going to have, have to return to the impact zone, not necessarily the impact zone, but maybe a building also in Orlando um, coming this November, unfortunately, because TNA can no longer afford to be on the road for as long as they are every other week. So it's unfortunate because I really liked going on the road for TNA. They had much better crowds. The crowd that they had last week in Salt Lake City in Utah was great, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But um, it really is unfortunate. And speaking of Eric Bischoff, news going around right now that he might be on his way out of TNA as well. Um, a report was just issued today saying that Eric Bischoff is now being paid to sit home. He's not even doing anything anymore. He used to be a big part of the creative process, but with Hulk Hogan not being under contract anymore – he doesn't have a lot of leverage in the company as of, as of right now. Um, I have nothing against Eric Bischoff, the person. Um, I know he brought WCW down as a sinking ship back in the day, but as a person, don't have a lot against him. As a character, I never want to see him on my television, on TNA television again. WWE, different story, but as far as TNA goes, his character was completely overplayed. They didn't need him, so I was very thankful that they wrote him out of storylines back in early 2012, and we have yet to see him since. But with that being said, though, um, he might be out of his way out of the company as well, despite the fact that his com- that his son, Garrett Bischoff, is still under contract with the company. So I'm not going to be sad to see Eric Bischoff leave TNA, but I think it was only a matter of time with Hulk Hogan leaving the company only a few short weeks ago. That being said, though, um, TNA is in a state of distress at the moment. They have got Genesis coming up in January, their next pay-per-view. They had a pretty good show last Thursday night. I'll give them that much, and I'll break that down after I go over Hell in a Cell and Raw. But just wanted to give a brief update on that. If I have any more details regarding the TNA Up for Sale story, again, you can check me out on Facebook, Graham, GSM Matthews. I'm posting there all the time in regards to this kind of stuff. So follow me there for further updates on the story. 
Moving on now, WWE Hell in a Cell, the fifth annual Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, live this past Sunday, October 27, 2013, from the American Airlines Arena in Miami, Florida, the same arena, or not the same arena, but the same city that WrestleMania 28 was held in, just last, uh, just last in 2012, I believe they were in Miami, maybe for Survivor Series 2010, they were back there a couple years ago as well, but Hell in a Cell, um, they had a pretty good crowd, the pay-per-view itself sucked, but... That's what we're going to hear to do. That's why I'm here, to break down every match on the card. On the pre-show, we had Damian Sandow taking on Kofi Kingston. Now, of course, this was not the previously advertised pre-show matchup because going into the show, as of last Monday, it was supposed to be Curtis Axel defending his Intercontinental Championship against the one and only Big E Langston. Now, of course, mere hours before the pay-per-view went live, they announced on their Twitter page, WWE did, that is, that Curtis Axel had to pull out of the matchup due to a due to a injury that was undisclosed. It was later revealed that it was a hip injury that he sustained on Raw uh, in that tag team match against Punk and Langston last week. So he was unable to go. Why they waited until the very last minute to announce this, I have no idea. It's not like anyone was highly anticipating this match anyway. I was kind of looking forward to it to see Langston win the title, but Langston wasn't in action anyway on the show, and I'll get to that a little later. And he didn't win any championship, so. I don't expect that the ending result of that matchup would have been any different. But even still, at the last minute, WWE still gave us a pre-show. We had Sandow versus Kingston. Nice match. Sandow got a clean win. But Sandow's lost so much momentum. I'll get into that and how he cashed in his Money to Bank briefcase on the subsequent edition of Monday Night Raw. I'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, nice match for what it was. Crowd didn't really care. They have no incentive to care about either guy right now. But well-wrestled matchup with zero story behind it at all. And um, it did not give viewers an incentive to tune into the pay-per-view that followed up this pre-show. So unsuccessful in in the sense that it didn't convince viewers to purchase this pay-per-view, but it was a fun match for what it was. Opening up the show, we had the WWE Tag Team titles up for grabs in a triple threat tag team match with Cody Rhodes and Goldust defending the gold against the Shield members Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns, as well as Jimmy and Jay, the Usos, and what was undoubtedly undoubtedly the match of the night. Very strong effort from all three of these teams. Extremely, extremely exciting action. Everyone pulled up their, uh, everyone held up their own of the bargain, their part of the bargain, their end of the bargain. I don't know why I'm botching that. But um, great, great matchup to kick off the show. The perfect match to kick off the show with. The crowd was extremely into the action. They were on their feet the entire time. It was a bit slow in the beginning, but they definitely picked up the pace down the stretch. Really enjoyed it. In the end, Cody Rhodes hits a picture-perfect, beautiful uh, crossroads on the Seth Rollins to successfully retain the WWE Tag Team titles for himself and Goldust. So, just a fantastic way to kick off the show. Goldust and Cody Rhodes are easily one of the best and most entertaining acts in all of the WWE right now. They're really lighting the WWE Tag Team division on fire. And I said this last week, too, but... A lot of people have said that tag team wrestling is dead. This is a clear, clear example why it isn't. Um, this match, uh, usually the tag team titles should be highlighted and more given more focus and whatnot, but they were in the main event of Raw a few short weeks ago, so they are getting some focus, uh, most definitely. And before Rhodes and Goldust, we had the Shield as tag team champs, we had Team Hell No as tag team champs. So we've had a lot of uh, we've had a lot of good pairings hold those championships over the last year and bring back some prestige to those tag team titles. So I'm very glad that Goldust and Cody Rhodes are the current tag team champions. Hopefully they don't drop them anytime soon. 
Hopefully they hold on to the championships for the foreseeable future and drop them maybe around Royal Rumble Elimination Chamber time so we can get a Goldust versus Cody Rhodes match. Now it's been reported that the in the works right now is a Goldust and Rhodes is a Goldust and Cody match scheduled for WrestleMania 30 with Goldust being the heel. I love it. Um, initially back at WrestleMania 28, which was also coincidentally enough in Miami. Um, the match that I wanted to see was Goldust versus Cody in a title versus career match with Cody going over. He was the Intercontinental Champion at the time, so it made sense. With Cody going over and retiring Goldust, they had a few exchanges um, a few months prior to WrestleMania 28, so that's why I wanted to see that matchup happen at WrestleMania on the big stage. Ultimately, though, it did not come to fruition, unfortunately. But um, I think it might have been for the better because Goldust at that period in time, remember, was not a regular on TV. The same thing was the case for this year's uh, WrestleMania. I wanted to see that match at WrestleMania 29 or at least in some form or fashion because at the time Cody Rhodes was in a tag team with Damian Sandow, um, collectively known as Team Rhodes Scholars. So I think it would have made sense to do Booker T and Goldust, uh, you know, reunite those two against Booker T against Cody Rhodes and Damian Sandow. It would have made perfect sense. But um, again, they did not opt to go that direction. They went with Cody being in, what was he at WrestleMania? Oh, he was supposed to be in a mixed tag team match that it ultimately got nixed anyway. But, um, you know, aside from that, though, because they had, why I wanted to see that matchup was because they had Goldust return, make a surprise return in the 2013 Royal Rumble matches past year. I was marking the heck out when I saw him return. Um, those two went at it for a little bit. That was pretty cool. I thought it was leading to a matchup or at least foreshadowed something. Led to nothing. Led to nothing at all. So hopefully it's third time's a charm this year with WrestleMania 30. Goldust is a heel putting over the babyface Cody Rhodes. I love it. Hopefully it does come to fruition. And Vince McMahon gives us a match that we all want to see on the grandest stage of them all. So up next at Hell in a Cell, we had the Wyatt family being called out by the awesome one, The Miz. Now, of course, for those of you that didn't see it, and I don't blame you if you did, if you didn't, because it's SmackDown after all. I mean, I watch SmackDown, but I know a lot of people don't anymore, at least. Um, the Miz was brutally attacked by the Wyatt family on the last edition of Friday Night SmackDown. He was beaten up brutally backstage and left for dead, basically. Um, so, in seeking retribution, the Miz calls out Eric, Eric Rowan, or yeah, Eric Rowan, Luke Harper, and Bray Wyatt. Out comes uh, Luke Harper and Eric Rowan. They rough up the Miz a little bit. They came out from behind. So it was uh, a cheap shot on the on the part of the Wyatt family. So they get the better of the Miz for a short period of time. Crowd chants, we want Kane. And sure enough, they got the big red monster making his first official WWE appearance in SummerSlam in August. So over two months ago, we last saw Kane. For those of you unfamiliar, he was out filming Ceno Evil 2. Now, speaking of which, I have yet to see Ceno Evil 1. But from what I've heard, it's the best WWE Studios movie they have released. Um, at least... As far as um, opinion goes, I mean, critically wise, I mean, as far as grossing amount of money, um, I, I think the call from this past year grossing most amount of money for WWE Studios, which was, I believe was very successful, as was See No Evil, which was released back in 06. But um, I just never got around to seeing it. I know I saw a few times on Sci-Fi or certain parts of it. I never got to watch it in full. Um, I recently found it on the internet somewhere, so I'm hopefully going to watch it before, between now and Halloween, because I think that would be perfect. Um, especially if I want to see the, the sequel. But anyway, Kane comes out, you know, same old attire that we saw him in before he left. He roughs up the Wyatt family, he roughs up Rowan and Harper, and then out of nowhere, he chokeslams the Miz. 
you know, being the misfit that I am, all I got to say is, poor Miz, poor Miz, poor guy. I mean, I know, I know a lot of people don't like him, but I personally do. I think he's a guilty pleasure of mine. He was brutalized by Randy Orton in his hometown a few weeks ago. He was left for dead by the Wyatt family, as I mentioned before, on SmackDown on Friday night. Then on this show, he was betrayed by Kane. It's not like they were best friends or anything, but even still, it's disappointing to see The Miz, I don't want to say buried, because I don't don't think he's getting buried right now, but then again, he lost a minute match to Kane on Raw this past week, so I don't know exactly what to call him. But um, even still, poor Miz, but even still, Kane returns, making his first official appearance in nearly two months. Um, at Hell in a Cell. And no better pay-per-view to return at than almost exactly 16 years removed from his debut at Bad Blood 1997 when he interrupted the Hell in a Cell match between Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. Uh, Very memorable moment. Uh, And of course, Shawn Michaels went on to win that match and Kane's, the rest of his career is history. So we'll move on from there, though. We had a mixed tag team match which was unannounced, unadvertised, and I don't think it needed to be because I don't think it would have convinced viewers to buy this show anyway. It was Fandango and Summer Rae making her in-ring debut, or at least on the main roster, against the great Kali and Italia. Now, the background of this matchup was from SmackDown a couple days ago. They had the great Kali versus Fandango, which ended in a no contest after Summer Rae and Italia got involved, which was stupid, absolutely asinine matchup, but even still, they followed it up with this mixed tag team match at Hell in a Cell. Fandango and Summer Rae go over after Summer Rae pins Natalia. Summer Rae, I'll get into this a little bit when when I talk about her match with Natalia from Raw. She's not terrible in the ring. She's got a good look, but um, she's over down in NXT. She's one of the best heel divas that they have. I think she is the, the number one heel diva that they have right now down in NXT. But um, she's been on the main roster since, I believe, WrestleMania with Fandango. And the main issue that they have with Tons of Funk right now, um, I've been whining about this for the longest time, but with Naomi and Cameron, they've been with Brodus Clay and, and to an extent, Tensai since uh, January of last year, of 2012, almost two years ago. I mean, Naomi and Cameron, Cameron is terrible in their ring, absolutely atrocious. So thankfully, she's not in the ring as much as Naomi is. But um, And Naomi is still pretty green, too, but, I mean, she's better in the ring than Cameron. But um, even still, she's coming out to Brodus Clay's music. She's she needs to I she needs to get her own identity away from Brodus. I mean, granted, she does in Total Divas, but they need to transcend that over from that show and onto Raw because they need to separate themselves from Tons of Funk. They're damaged goods at this point. I saw some potential in Brodus Clay. I will admit, I am still a Brodus Clay fan. It's just a shame that they're just being positioned as these comedy baby faces, this comic relief in the tag team division where they're never going to win the tag team titles. It's a waste to even think that, because they're not. So I think the best thing for them right now is to turn them heel and have Naomi and Cameron go out on their own. But as far as Summer Rae goes, she's not terrible in the ring. She's got a good luck, as I said before. I think she can get over with Fandango in her corner for most of her matches going forward. And then gradually over time, she can create her own image for herself and then move on as a singles competitor in the Divas division. I mean, Fandango, I mean, he's not the most over guy right now. I mean, he was after WrestleMania, but uh, not any longer. Um, I think he's cooler than an ice cube right now, which is unfortunate because he's a good wrestler and all. I mean, this is coming from a guy that's not high on Fandango, so maybe I'm being biased right now, but there's just nothing more for this guy to do. I mean, this guy beat Jericho on the grandest stage of them all at WrestleMania 29, and he hasn't done anything of a note since. He hasn't. He was going to win the IC title back at Payback, but he came down with a concussion and hasn't 
done anything meaningful since then, which is a shame because, like I said before, he's a good wrestler. I don't think he's ever going to be world champion, but I think the gimmick is holding him down. I think it's hindering him more than it's helping him. The entrance music was more over than he was. He, he wasn't over at all. I think a lot of people mistake that. They, they make that simple mistake. I could see why, but his entrance music was over. Never Fandango. So we'll move on from there to another unadvertised matchup. I mean, it was made official via the pre-show before the show went live, but it wasn't advertised in the website beforehand, and I can see why, because Curtis Axel you know, came down with the injury unexpectedly, so it's fine. But Big E Langston did end up being in action on the show against Dean Ambrose in a match for the United States Championship. It was a good match. Big E Langston, I said this last week, but he's much better as a babyface. He is so incredibly over down in NXT that um, I think that if they brought that five-count gimmick up to the main roster, it could do wonders for him. It's just the fact that the he's only been faced for all two weeks right now, so he hasn't been getting you know strong babyface reaction. So it's he's getting over nicely, and he is very likable. If you see his Twitter page, his appearances on uh, WWE's YouTube channel, he's very likable. He's a very funny guy. They just need to transcend that personal- personality to the main roster and into promos. He hasn't got any mic time yet, as far as I know. Um, he sounded kind of nervous in his uh, promo against Amb- or with Ambrose in the pre-show. But aside from that, we haven't heard much from Langston. So I think he can get over as a babyface if they book him correctly, give him enough time to develop his character, give him some mic time. But um, it's just too early in the run for people to get behind Big E Langston. So I was not at all surprised that his match with Ambrose, the crowd was dead for. They were absolutely dead for it. Biggie Langston received a cut in this matchup after he clotheslined Dean Ambrose. Their heads collided, I believe. He had to get stitches, as did Ambrose. But um, Dean Ambrose ultimately retained the title after getting himself intentionally counted out. But Biggie Langston hit the Biggie Len- hit the big ending. Excuse me, on Ambrose following the matchup anyway. So I guess the feud is set to continue. Up next, we had CM Punk taking on Ryback and Paul Heyman in a handicap two-on-one Hell in a Cell match. Now, remember, this is almost exactly one year removed from their last Hell in a Cell match. Punk and Ryback are the only two men in WWE history to step inside the Hell for two consecutive years. They collided last year with the WWE title on the line. Punk came out victorious in that one, too. But he was healed that time, and Ryback was the face. This year, the roles were reversed. However, it was a bit disappointing. I mean, the match itself was almost 10 minutes long, as the same length that it was last year, so... That in of itself was disappointing, and Ryback is done for at this point. This guy is done for. He lost to Punk at Battleground. He lost here at Hell in a Cell without put, even putting up much of a fight. I mean, the crowd was heavily behind Punk, and Ryback got barely any offense, and he was essentially destroyed in this matchup. Then he was beaten within mere minutes on Raw the next night. So this guy, at this point in time, just they shouldn't even waste his time with him. I mean, this, this is coming from a massive Ryback fan. I think I I see massive potential in Ryback. He's a big upside. But all of these losses that he's taken on pay-per-view, and one can argue that his downfall began at Hell in a Cell last year, this year's the the match, the result of the match between Punk and Ryback was no different. CM Punk emerged victorious. I'm not saying that Ryback and Heyman should have won, but, I mean, I, I really want this to be the end of the feud, but it's just a shame to see how far Ryback has fallen since earlier this year. But nonetheless, CM Punk goes over, defeats Ryback. Paul Heyman, despite being a competitor in the match, wasn't even involved in the match at all. He was on top of the cell the entire time. So if that was the case, 
why even bother promoting that he was going to be involved in the matchup? They could have just done a one-on-one straight-up match between Ryback and Punk and then have Heyman try to escape Punk after Punk won. He could have just climbed right up the cell. I mean, it's that simple. So I don't know why they included Heyman in the matchup if he wasn't even involved in the matchup at all. You know, but despite that, Punk takes up a signal for Kane up with him to the top of the cell. Kane's Paul Heyman, I don't even know how many times, just countless, countless times, over and over and over again before knocking Paul Heyman unconscious. And then just for good measure, following it up with the go to sleep, the GTS, and Paul Heyman is good night. So that feud appears to be over with since Paul Heyman didn't appear on Monday Night Raw the next night. Thank God, though. I mean, this feud... I've been a major advocate of this feud since the beginning, back in June when it initially started. So it's been a four-month run, long, uh, a four-month reigning feud, so to speak. But um, it was really time to put this feud to rest. I mean, after their confrontations at Money in the Bank and SummerSlam, Night of Champions, Battleground, and Hell in a Cell, it just got exhausting. And hopefully, they continue this rivalry uh, at some point down the line with Paul Heyman returning with Brock Lesnar in tow and having a rematch between Lesnar and Punk at WrestleMania next year. That'd be great. But, um, you know, even still, hopefully this is a blow-off of the feud. And if it is, the conclusion of it with Punk hitting the GTS on Heyman, I mean, I expected it to happen at some point, and I expected it to happen on the show. It just came off so anticlimactic. I mean, like I said, they've been building towards this moment for nearly four months. Four months they've been building towards this thing. And now all it gets is a cane. It gets a Singapore cane over and over and over again, which we saw, may I remind you, at Night of Champions two months ago. Not even two months ago, six weeks ago. And then we see him take a GTS, which was a nice change of pace. But Paul Heyman getting beat up with a, with a Singapore cane was not anything new because we saw it at Night of Champions a couple weeks ago. But nonetheless, CM Punk was over. And puts an end to the Paul Heyman feud once and for all. Up next to Hell in a Cell, we had Los Matadores taking on the Real Americans. Everything that you would expect it to be. Pretty comedic matchup. Filler. Nothing more than that. Los Matadores go over here. If anyone's surprised, let me know. Because I sure as heck wasn't. But um, the Real Americans have much more upside to them than the Los Matadores do. Um, I, I, I'll get into that in my Raw review in just a few minutes. But... Uh, Los Matadores, as I said in previous weeks, these guys, their potential, I mean, they have a lot of potential as Primo and Epico. Primo and Epico have potential to be great tag team competitors, and they were for quite a while back in 2011, 2012, when they were reigning as the WWE Tag Team Champions for about three months. I mean, the reign wasn't all that great, but it was pretty good, and they are great wrestlers, and the crowd just doesn't care. They don't care about these guys at all. I mean, they got somewhat of a reaction, but it doesn't appear that the live crowd cares all that much for Los Matadores, which is a shame because under not, underneath those masks are some two very talented individuals. And then they beat the, the actual team with the potential, the real Americans. But, you know, I digress. Switching gears here, we have the World Heavyweight Championship match between John Cena and Alberto Del Rio. John Cena's first match back since SummerSlam, successfully defeating Del Rio to win his third World Heavyweight Championship. And get this, his 14th world championship world championship overall. He's an 11-time WWE champion and is a four-time or three-time um, world heavyweight champion. That's insane. That is insane. I mean, his reigns mean less and less every single time. I mean, granted, his last WWE title run from WrestleMania to SummerSlam, that was pretty good. 
he had successful title uh, defenses against Ryback and Mark Henry and a few others, and he defeated The Rock to win the title initially. But the reign before that lasted all of two weeks back in 2011, and he held the title a few times in 2010, or 2009, I think it was. Those reigns didn't last long. 2010, he held it for maybe two minutes before he got uh, brutalized by Batista at Elimination Chamber 2010. So I hope that this reign will do something, not only for him to freshen up his act a little bit, because it is a nice change of pace to see him in the world title picture as opposed to the WWE title picture. But even still, I mean, I like 2012 solely because Cena was not in the title picture. I mean, he was in the latter half of the year, but he never won the title. And neither did Randy Orton, who also won gold on the show, as you heard from the pre, uh, from the audio that I aired before the show going live. But um, even still, John Cena, a 14-time world champion. Think about that for a second. 14 times this guy's won a world title. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but that's an ins- insane amount of world championships. He exceeded Triple H, who has 13 world titles, and he's inching closer and closer to Ric Flair's 16. And remember, John Cena is only 35, 36 years old. Correct me if I'm wrong. He's going to be wrestling for a long time to come. And he's going to be winning two more world titles, no doubt. He's probably going to be winning a lot more than two world championships. But it's going to be a very sad, sad day when John Cena exceeds Ric Flair in terms of world titles won. But, and it's funny, too, because that backstage fallout thing that WWE airs on its YouTube channel, it's up right now if you search up WWE Fan Nation or whatever it is, they air it on. They, they film it after Raw, and they air it on. Uh, or they post it on Tuesday afternoons. John Cena on this week's backstage fallout for Raw was interviewed by the ston- by the uh, astonishing, stunning Renee Young um, about his win over Damian Sandow on Raw. And he asked the cameraman. He asked the people next to him, "Am I a fourteen-time world champion? Is that what it was? Like, are you serious? This guy doesn't even remember how many world titles he's won." <laughs> That's ridiculous. This guy doesn't even remember how many world championships he's won. That's ridiculous. That's a telling sign of how little the world titles mean these days, which is a shame because they meant something in 2012 when Sheamus is world champion, when CM Punk was the reigning WWE champion for 434 consecutive days. Now the titles don't mean jack, jack squat, which is a shame. But... Even still, after Hell in a Cell, folks, your new world heavyweight champion, John Cena. It was a good match from Cena and Del Rio, but it wasn't anything all that exciting. They have some great matches, and this was a great match, but the ending result was never in doubt. John Cena, your new world heavyweight champion, for the third time, and for the 14th time, a world champion. Ridiculous. Up next, for the Divas Championship, AJ Lee successfully defending the Butterfly Belt against Brie Bella. Another decent match from these two. Nothing, not a five-star classic, but it was an exceptional match as far as Divas go for the Divas standards. Um, AJ Lee successfully retaining the title, like I said. Nothing much more to say than that. Um, Nikki Bella inadvertently cost Brie the match, her twin sister, after I think she was on the apron. I wasn't paying all that close attention, but I think she was on the apron, and Brie hit her by accident or something like that. AJ capitalized and got the win. But what I am glad to say is that AJ is still the Divas champion. She's been doing a fantastic job with the title since winning it back at Payback a few months ago, back in June in Chicago. Uh, She's been reigning as the Divas champion for well over 100 days now. So hopefully she keeps going strong and becomes the longest reigning Divas champion in WWE history. Um, I think she's got a few more months to go because I think Maurice held the championship for seven months 
back in, uh, what was it, 2010? 2000, I think it was 2009. She won it in 08, and then she dropped it in 09 for seven months. So AJ has another three months to go before she becomes the longest reigning Divas champion in WWE history. So AJ Lee still your Divas champion. And of course, in the main event, the Hell in a Cell match. Randy Orton and Daniel Bryan going at it for the abeyant, for those that don't know what that means, the vacant WWE championship with Shawn Michaels as his special guest referee. And again, these two... And it wasn't a bad match. I don't want to say it was a bad match, but again, it was mildly disappointing. Their Night of Champions match was blatantly obvious that they held back a bit. Same thing at Battleground. This match, it was starting to get good, and then they they cut right to the finish. I don't know if it was time constraints or what, but there were a few cool spots in this match. They tried to use the cell to as much as they could. Um, I mean, Hell in a Cell matches aren't what they used to be, and I'll talk about that in a little while. Um, after I'm done with the Raw review. But they made the most of the sell. And um, they actually had a really cool spot when Daniel Bryan took out all the chairs from underneath the ring, threw them into the ring, Terry Funk style, and suplexed Randy Orton on top of them. That was pretty cool. But um, aside from that, there really wasn't anything about this match that really stood out until the ending, of course, when, as you heard from the pre-match audio or the pre-show audio, um, Daniel Bryan uh, knocked Orton into Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels was down. Triple H interfered in the Hell in the Cell. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the whole point of the Hell in the Cell to prevent interference, to prevent people from getting involved? I mean, granted, we've seen it in the past, but that's the whole point. That's the reason why this match was made. That's the reason why a battleground when Big Show knocked out Orton and Daniel Bryan and ended the, ab- abruptly the WWE title match in that pay-per-view, giving fans a bullcrap finish to that pay-per-view, thus wasting their $55, $60, whatever it is. That's why the sell was made. That's why this match was made to take place inside Satan's structure, to prevent interference, yet they went with it anyway. Another overbooked finish from WWE. I'm starting to think that they hired back Vince Russo. Like, seriously, I'm starting to think they hired back Vince Russo because this whole abeyance storyline was a complete waste of time. It didn't draw any more viewers than they would have had they just kept Brian the champion or Orton the champion and kept Brian in chase mode. It's ridiculous. So Triple H comes into the cell, shoves Daniel Bryan to the side. Daniel Bryan retaliates by hitting Triple H with the running knee, which yet has to be named. It's just known to people as the, as the knee that knocked out John Cena and Randy Orton. So he knocks out Triple H with that. And then Shawn Michaels comes back and hits Daniel Bryan with the sweet chin music, costing him the matchup. Orton capitalizes. Orton, for the 11th time in his WWE career, is a world champion. Your new WWE champion, the Apex Predator, the Viper, Randy Orton. Can't say that I'm all excited about the ending results because, again, it's been um, two years. Someone brought this to my attention a couple days ago. It's been over two years since both Orton and Cena were world champions at the same time. Um, the last time they were both world champions was when Orton was world heavyweight champion and John Cena was WWE champion at Money in the Bank 2011, of course, my favorite day of the year, July 17th. And um, it's been a great time in wrestling since that night because we don't have the two top people in WWE um, hogging the world titles yet. Two and a half years later, we're back to the old stagnant status quo, which is a shame. A very, very big shame because it appears Daniel Bryan is out of the title picture for the time being. And I'm glad the feud between him and Orton is over for right now. But I would have much rather just seen Daniel Bryan win the title clean. Shawn Michaels raises his hand. Daniel Bryan, your new WWE champion. 
and then has a nice lengthy reign with the title, and then defends the title against maybe CM Punk in the main event of WrestleMania. Of course, though, we didn't get what we wanted. It didn't come to fruition. I'm not complaining either. I'm just, I'm just mad about the fact that we had interference in a match that is supposed to prevent interference, and we got another, we got another overbooked finish. Just ridiculous. That's why I was looking forward to this pay-per-view because they basically guaranteed that no one would get involved. It's just absolutely asinine that WWE keeps on screwing over their fans, their loyal fans who have bought probably three pay-per-views in a row now, Night of Champions, Battleground, and Hell in a Cell, and screwed them over yet again with another overbooked finish. I'm very curious to see the buy rate um, for all these past three pay-per-views because these last three pay-per-views have been atrocious. Night of Champions was the worst of them all, and the pay-per-views have been gradually getting better since then, but they still are far from what they used to be. SummerSlam was phenomenal. Money in the Bank, Payback, Extreme Rules were all fantastic. Why can't the pay-per-views be as good as, as they were back during the summer? Now they're just missable. If I didn't watch a show live, I would have not missed anything at all. At all. Completely predictable show. I mean, granted, I didn't predict the, predict the main event right, but it's just ridiculous that Orton, again, for the 11th time in your career, in his career, like I said before with Cena, is a world champion. Why not let the the young guys get a chance for once, you know? It's ridiculous, but as I said, Orton, your new WWE champion. So overall, WWE held himself in this last Sunday. It was a mediocre pay-per-view overall. It had its moments. It kicked off with a strong opener with the WWE Tag Team title matchup and the return of Kane. But everything else after that just fell flat. I mean, the Punk and Ryback match, the Punk and Ryback match was a disappointment. The world title match was great. But Cena winning the title just fell flat for me personally. I don't care to see Cena with another world title, especially since he did nothing to deserve it. I mean, granted, he didn't get his rematch from the WWE title after losing the SummerSlam, but why for the upteenth time do we need to see him as world champion again? And then the main event was disappointing too. So overall, if you didn't watch the show, you didn't miss anything at all. It was somewhat newsworthy, but... And the only match that I would go out of your way to see is the WWE Tag Team title match. And, but, you know, aside from that, don't even bother going out of your way to watch the show because, again, it was mediocre at best. So switching gears here, Monday Night Raw live from Orlando last night, October 28th, 2013. Kicking off the show, we have the new World Heavyweight Champion, John Cena. And despite everything I just said, John Cena cut a pretty good promo here. I mean, I hate to be crapping on the guy, but and he came back in two months after an injury that was... Uh, supposed to sideline him for about four to six months this guy's like superman and jbl himself said that on commentary that john cena was superman so i found that pretty comical but even still john cena kicks off the show addressing his wwe or i apologize his world title match with del rio from hell in a cell and now comes damian sandow new theme and all cashing in his money in the bank briefcase after brutalizing john cena and his injured arm i thought that was fantastic sandow has never looked better this match was great, 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 great stuff from Sandow and Cena in this matchup. Um, the first Money in the Bank winner to lose their championship match via pinfall. I know Cena lost his Money in the Bank matchup last year when he cashed in against CM Punk, but that was a week in advance. It was a scheduled matchup. They knew about it ahead of time, and he lost via DQ. Or Cena won the match, but he just didn't win the title. Sandow lost the match, didn't win the title, lost via pinfall. So part of me is angered that Sandow is not world champion, but I think he might have won more in defeat than he did than he would have won, if that makes any sense. Damian Sandow going into this world title match was booked atrociously. 
This guy won the Money in the Bank match in July. And since the very next night, the very next night on Raw, this guy has meant absolutely nothing. He was beaten by Cody Rhodes on a number of occasions. He was was embarrassed by Cody Rhodes multiple times. He lost a number of matches to Dolph Ziggler. He's lost matches to R-Truth, to Santino. You name him, he lost to him. Sandow, I mean, this guy lost to everybody. Everybody. Ridiculous. But that's just the way it goes. I was expecting him to cash in successfully because usually the way it works is the Money in the Bank winners lose, lose all of their matches in order to make it seem like they are the underdog going into the world title match. But, you know, even still, he lost his world title match against Cena. Part of me is angered that we are not looking at a new world heavyweight champion right now in the form of Damian Sandow, but the guy wasn't over after being buried. And I mean, I use that term, I, I use that term loosely because I don't like to use that, use that term more often than not because a lot of people like to misuse it. But this guy literally was buried. Not literally buried, but figuratively, he was buried. This guy lost everybody. When you lose to Santino, you know you're being buried. But, um... So I guess it's a good thing that he lost because I don't think people would have been excited to see him as world champion so early. But even still, I think this win, or this match with Cena, rather, did more to help Sandow than anything else he did with the Money in the Bank briefcase. So he looked strong in defeat, very strong in defeat. On several occasions, I thought he was going to become the new world champ. But even still, Cena's story has always been that he overcomes the odds regardless of what the situation might be, whether it be an injured arm, a broken neck, I swear to God, they're going to be building up to when Cena gets shot and he's going to kick out a two. Just watch. Just watch. But anyway, strong matchup from Cena and Sandow. Sandow, not your world heavyweight champion, but a heck of a way to kick off the show, even though I am a bit disappointed we are not looking at Sandow as a new world champion. But like I said before, I think it's for the better for right now. And hopefully Sandow, it's all about how they book him going forward. If he's going, if he goes back to being a jobber, then his run as Mr. Money in the Bank was completely pointless. But if he doesn't and they actually try to elevate Sandow, then it might be worth it. Only time will tell. Up next, we had Ambrose versus Dean Ambrose, that is. Dean Ambrose versus Big E Langston for the U.S. Championship and a rematch from Hell in the Cell. But different show, same results. Unlike a countout, though, it was a disqualification loss for Ambrose after the Shield got involved. And sure enough, the Usos make the save. And it leads into a, you guessed it, six-man tag team match. Langston and the Usos versus the Shield fun match for what it was but it was the shield that ultimately came up on the winning end I mean, these matches it, it was fun for while it lasted i mean the shield matches used to be absolutely awesome they still can be on occasion just this matchup wasn't anything particularly great so um it, don't go out of your way to go see it but the shield needed this win after being um you know treated like fodder for daniel bryan in recent weeks after losing at night of they lost at hell in the cell they lost their tag team titles uh, Ambrose has been losing matches recently to a number of people. Um, Rollins and Reigns lost the WWE Tag Team title match at Hell in a Cell. At, uh, at Hell in a Cell, yeah. So they needed this win here, so I'm glad they came out victorious. But it was interesting, though, because before this match went live, before this match occurred, they had a backstage segment with the Shield members. And Dean Ambrose made mention of the fact that he is the only current Shield member right now that is acquiring a championship after Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns are no longer the WWE Tag Team Champions. So I found that interesting. I don't know if they're building towards a Shield breakup. Um, I wouldn't like to think so. The Shield are great. They're still a very hot act. 
I don't think there's any reason to break them up right now. Um, maybe come WrestleMania, maybe a little bit afterwards, but for right now, they're still a very fresh act, even one year later, so there's no need to break them up. But I do like, um, I, I do appreciate the effort by WWE to at least planting the seeds to it when it eventually does happen. Up next, we had Daniel Bryan confronting Shawn Michaels, who offered an apology of sorts, and I do use that loosely, because um, he didn't really apologize, came over a bit fake, uh, to Daniel Bryan. This is a very strong segment. Daniel Bryan, I was hoping to hear a lot out of him, but the fact that he was serious throughout the segment, he didn't chant yes. I mean, I know that is crazy over with the crowds and whatnot, but he needs to remain serious in order to sell, in order to sell the fact that he's been screwed out of the championship four times now. At SummerSlam, the night after Night of Champions, <coughs> at Battleground, at Hell in a Cell, he needs to sell the fact that he is angry, that he is frustrated with the authority, and that he's not parading around saying yes all the time. So I'm glad that he kept it serious. He played it straight in the segment with Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels showing some shades of a heel turn. I mean, it was kind of official at Hell in a Cell, but it was officialized on the show because um, I thought Shawn Michaels would remain babyface, but apparently that's not the case after Daniel Bryan locked him in the yes lock, forcing him to tap out. And Shawn Michaels was being booed as he left the arena, the first time that Shawn Michaels has been booed since 05. And I mean, Shawn Michaels' 05 year run only lasted all of, what, two months? Two, three months? It wasn't even that long, so I don't really, I don't think a lot of people constitute that as a heel turn or a heel run for Shawn Michaels. So this is the first heel, the, the first heel run for Michaels in nearly 15 years. So, that being said, I think it's a nice change of pace. I don't think it leads to Brian versus Michaels at some point in time because I think Michaels is true to his word that he will stay out of the ring. But hopefully they can do something along the lines of maybe a Brian versus Michaels matchup at Survivor Series like last year when they had Team Ziggler versus Team Foley. Foley didn't actually wrestle, but he wasn't ringside for his team. So maybe we see that come Survivor Series. I think that'd be pretty cool. Because after the segment, the Wyatt family attacked Daniel Bryan backstage. So, I don't know if that's leading to a match at Survivor Series, because Daniel, or Bray Wyatt, rather, mentioned that the devil made him do it, and some people have uh, made mention of the fact that it was Paul Heyman at Hell in a Cell who referred him to himself as the devil. So maybe Paul Heyman put him up to it, maybe it was Triple H, I'm not exactly sure, but if we get Bryan versus the Wyatts at Survivor Series in some sort of traditional 5-on-5 tag team match with Shawn Michaels in the Wyatt's corner and maybe CM Punk and Bryan's team. I'll get to why that makes I'll get to why that makes sense in just a few more minutes. Um, I think that'd be pretty cool. I know Daniel <clears throat> excuse me, I know Daniel Bryan isn't in the championship picture right now, but uh I think this would be a nice consolation prize for him. I think it elevates Wyatt's. I don't think it's burying Daniel Bryan, but I think it is a nice step up for the Wyatt's after you know, going through the likes of The Miz and Kofi Kingston. It's a nice change of pace for the Wyatt to be inserted into a top-tire storyline. Up next, Los Matadores versus 3MB. Not even going to waste my time talking about this. Los Matadores went over. Moving on. AJ Lee and Tomato Snuka defeated the Bella Twins. The same match that we saw last week, except with a dis- different result. AJ Lee and Tamita go over. I like the fact that Bray had an out-to-lose year, being distracted by the beating that Brian took early on in the evening. Like I mentioned before, he was beat up by the Wyatt family. So that's why Brie Bella was distracted in this bout. And Nikki Bella instead took the pinfall or the submission loss for her team. So I don't know if the reports are true and they're building towards a breakup of the Bella of the Bellas. Honestly, I could not care less. I don't like Brie Bella. I don't like Nikki Bella. Sure, they're attractive, but 
And Nikki Bella is worse in the ring than Brie is. And Brie comes off as a more likable person. But even though I find Nikki more attractive. But that's my personal opinion. But even still, um, I, I couldn't care less. They're not over right now. I don't think anyone cares. Brie Bella is still gradually getting over as a baby face. Nikki Bella, not so much. Unless they turn John Cena heel and they do Brie, uh, they do Brian versus Cena at WrestleMania with Cena as a heel and Brian as a face, I don't think they're going to turn um, both Cena and Nikki heel. If they turn Nikki Bella heel and not Brie, again, couldn't care less. But hopefully this means that Brie is out of the title picture because while she is getting better, I don't think she is uh, you know, capable of a run. She's deserving of a run at this time with the Divas Championship. Just keep it on AJ. The single best thing right now about the Divas division, so there's no reason to take the title off of her at this point in time. Up next, we had the Kane versus Kane versus The Miz, which lasted all the minutes before it ended, despite the fact that JBL was like, oh, he's going to run right through The Miz. And then Michael Cole was like, ah, he's a former WWE champion. I think he's going to put up a good fight against the Big Red Monster. And, of course, The Miz lasts all of 30 seconds, or all of 60 seconds. I'll give him some credit for lasting that long against Kane before the match abruptly ended, which is a shame. Because, again, again, The Miz is a former WWE champion that loses to Kane in under a minute. Just ridiculous. Ridiculous how this guy's being booked right now. But that wasn't even the important part. We had Kane talking. He called out Stephanie McMahon. And instead of rebelling against Stephanie, he joins Stephanie and on his way out removes his mask, which he's been sporting since December of 2011. I personally am not a fan of the fact that Daniel Bryan, or I'm sorry, Kane is no longer masked. I liked him better masked. I liked him when he came back in 2011. was an absolute monster. But he was masked. He had new attire. He had a new theme. I loved it all. It was great stuff that he was heel. Fantastic stuff. But just the fact that um, that he's no longer masked, uh, I think is merely due to the fact that Ceno Evil 2 is coming out, and he's not masked in that movie. And if WWE wants to promote it, they need to show the actual face of Kane. So I'm not psyched about the fact that Damien, uh, Damien, I'm mixing up my names here, that Kane is no longer masked. But I am intrigued by the storyline. I won't say that much. I do like Kane better as a heel. I mean, he's great as a babyface, too. I mean, his whole run with Daniel Bryan was hysterical. Those guys had a lot of fun times together, a part of Team Hell No. But it was time to move on for Kane. And he is now to heel with the authority. But I will not be a fan of this move if it leads to a Kane versus Big Show match at any point in the near future. Up next, we had CM Punk versus Ryback Street Fight. Ended in four minutes. So if if you weren't keen on the fact, if you weren't uh, the positive that Ryback was being buried at Hell in a Cell, well, you got your confirmation on this show. Lost in four minutes. Punk was massively over. <coughs> Excuse me. With the Orlando crowd. But the match was over within minutes. Ryback, not at all a threat to CM Punk. After the match... The Wyatt family attacks CM Punk. Again, once again, furthering the fact that the Wyatt family might be targeting Daniel Bryan and CM Punk going into Survivor Series. Um, CM Punk and Daniel Bryan versus the Wyatt family? Yes, please. I would love to see that. So hopefully we get to see that in some form or fashion come Survivor Series and hopefully in some sort of a uh, five-on-five traditional elimination Survivor Series matchup. Up next, we have the Real Americans taking on Cody Rhodes and Goldust. Pretty good matchup from these two teams. Surprisingly, the Real Americans went over clean. After losing to the Los Matadores at Hell in the Cell, it was kind of hard to take them seriously, but it was a good matchup. And like I said before, these guys are capable of becoming WWE Tag Team Champions. I don't think they should beat the Rhodes brothers for the titles this early in their run, 
but I think it could be a good feud going into Survivor Series. Up next, we had Del Rio addressing John Cena. Standard promo from him, nothing out of the ordinary. Just going to skip over that. Natalia defeated Summer Rae. Already gave my thoughts on Summer Rae. She has the potential to be a good diva in the Divas division. Not sure what purpose she serves right now with AJ being a heel and with Summer being a heel. Let's see, I have to turn off some baby face, but even still, it's good to see more faces in the Divas division. Then, of course, in the main event, we had the Big Show crashing Randy Orton's WWE Championship coronation. And I am not at all excited about a potential feud between Big Show and Randy Orton for the WWE title. I have no idea why Big Show is being booked like a Stone Cold Steve Austin second coming. Um, there's no need for it. I mean, maybe with Daniel Bryan, maybe with CM Punk, because those guys are relatively younger talents. But Big Show, this guy's, what, 40-something years old. He's been around in the business for over 15 years now. This guy serves zero purpose. I do not want to see him in a title match come Survivor Series. I could warrant a Triple H... Um, Big Show matchup at Survivor Series, anything but putting him in the title picture. I would much rather see Randy Orton versus CM Punk. I would rather see that at Survivor Series as opposed to WrestleMania, which I know was rumored a couple weeks ago. But just in short, in a nutshell, I am not at all excited about seeing Big Show contend for the WWE title. There's no need for it. This is a lackluster way to close the show. I mean, the, the granted, the crowd was hot for it when he knocked out Orton and almost got his hands on Triple H. But the fact that Big Show even gets theme music when he's supposed to be fired is asinine. And I realize the fact that Mr. McMahon's supposed to be making his return sooner rather than later, and I was hoping that it was going to be on this show, and he's going to be revealed as the one that's been pulling the strings behind the strings, uh, pulling the strings behind the scenes to allow Big Show to appear on air every week. But they, that, that ending result just cannot come any quicker because I just cannot see Big Show as WWE champion, nor do I want to see him as WWE champion. They just need to skip ahead to when Mr. McMahon comes back and is the focal point of Raw, because I'd rather see him as a focal point of Raw than Big Show. And it's bad enough that Daniel Bryan technically won't be in a main event storyline for the next few months, so they give us Big Show instead? I don't think so. But overall, though, this was a decent episode of Monday Night Raw. They had its highlights with the world title match with Kane unmasking. That was pretty shocking. We had... uh, you know, the WWE title coronation thing, that was a disappointment. But uh, it wasn't even a disappointment. It was just kind of there. I didn't even care for it. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but they could have done more with it. But overall, though, decent episode of Raw. It's going to take a lot from WWE for them to restore my faith in the product. They've fallen a far away since SummerSlam a few months ago. So hopefully they can get back on track. Going into Survivor Series, produce some quality television for the remainder of the year before they kick in for the WrestleMania season. So I'm looking forward to that. So that that about closes this week's uh, Wrestle Rant Radio edition, a very Halloween-themed edition of Wrestle Rant Radio tonight, folks. Um, like I said before, make sure to listen to Wrestle Rant Radio every Tuesday night, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 Central Time, right here on EC Radio every Tuesday night, as well as the replay on Saturday nights at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 7 Central Time. Um, like I said, I won't be have I, I won't have a ton to talk about next week with ha- no pay per views or anything. I will find more topics to talk about. I have a whole list of things I didn't get to on this on this uh, show today, but um, <clears throat> I will be accepting Q- uh, questions for a little Q and A section next week. So make sure to like my official Facebook page and drop a comment on the wall at Graham Jason Matthews. So always looking for questions from you guys. We'll be willing to answer them live on the show next week. Make sure to like the page while you're at it. Any support is greatly appreciated. 
Check out the official podcast, as I said before, at WrestleRadio.Podbean.com. Check out my articles on Bleacher Report at Graham GSM Matthews. Same for YouTube as well with all my videos and such. And, of course, WWE 2K14 was released today in stores now, so make sure to check it out. Looks like an amazing game. Looking forward to getting it for Christmas and two months away. I don't buy the games beforehand. I do indeed wait till Christmas. But um, for those of you that get it beforehand, that have pre-ordered it, make sure to have a very fun time because it looks like it is a great game after seeing the numerous entrances for the superstars on YouTube and whatnot. So with all that being said, folks, hopefully you guys enjoyed tonight's show. As I said before, listen back next Tuesday night, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 Central Time. And make sure to enjoy Halloween, my favorite night of the year. This upcoming Thursday, in less than 48 hours, it's going to be one heck of a night. And I'm going to close you out right now with some Ghostbusters theme music, one of the best themes having to do with Halloween. Thanks for listening live, folks, and I'll see you next week.